Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Our current series is called Hidden Angels. The premise behind this series is to highlight certain people in our congregation who have done amazing things for other people. I hope you enjoy. And our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians in the 16th chapter, and it is about uh, a collection being taken at the church in Corinth. Now concerning the collection for the saints, you should follow the directions I gave to the churches of Galatia. That would be Paul. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn so that collections need not be taken when I come. And when I arrive, I will send any whom you approve with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading actually comes from Matthew 25 again. We read Matthew 25 last week. We're reading Matthew 25 again this week. But uh, this is actually a part of Matthew 25 we've never read in my time here before. And there's a particular reason why. You'll see, uh, and we'll get into it a little bit later on in the sermon. But it's a parable that Jesus is telling. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you are a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to, for to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. For as for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. So if you've been here, you may know that we are in the midst of a sermon series called Hidden Angels. The way this series works is that each week we begin by highlighting somebody from our congregation who has done amazing things for others. 
Usually, the way this sermon starts is that we begin with a pre-taped interview, but we're not actually going to do that today, because today is Stewardship Sunday. And as Stewardship Sunday, I actually think this is one of the most important sermons in the entire sermon series, because we're taking the spotlight off of certain individuals, and we're shining it on you, the congregation as a whole. Now, I have been working in the church since I was 23 years old, and if you do the math on that, that means I've been working in the church for about three years now. Hasn't been very long. (laughs) Now, I've been working for about 15 years in the church in various capacities, and it's only the last five years, though, that I have been working as a head of staff. And it's through my time as a head of staff that I've come to really appreciate on a deep level just how important your skills are to making this church function. If it wasn't for you all, we couldn't do all the things that we do in this church. And we do a lot here. I mean, there is a lot that gets done in this church, and that's because you all give of your gifts and your talents to this church. And so what I want to focus on today is what is a talent and why does it matter that you are giving your talents to our community. To begin this, I would actually like to start by defining what is a talent? What does that mean? So, generally speaking, when we think of a talent, it is something natural to who we are. So it's a natural aptitude or skill. So if you're born and you're really good at kicking a soccer ball around, natural skill, right? If you're really good at playing chess, if you're really good at learning information, all of that is something that we say, oh, that's a talent that you possess. But the word talent, actually, that was not what it originally meant, is the way we think about it today. In fact, the way we think about it today is actually derived directly, and I mean this, directly from the gospel reading we read today in Matthew, uh, the parable of the talents. And so what I want to talk about today is this parable. I want to discuss it because you can't understand why your talents matter unless we really can comprehend what's going on in this parable. So I would like to go through the parable and we're gonna dive deep into it. Are we ready to go? All right, good, all right, that's good, that's good. Okay, clearly the extra hour of sleep has benefited you, okay. (laughs) So, the story begins with a man who's about to go out on a journey. And before he goes on this journey, he calls three of his most trusted slaves to himself and he entrusts them with his property. In other words, he gives them money to invest on his behalf. That's the foundation of the parable. We all on the same page so far? All right. Now, there should be two questions that come up in your mind. The first question is, what kind of master gives money to his slaves? And even more importantly, what kind of slave does investment banking on the side? Now, the reason why this is a question that would come up in our minds is because our understanding of slavery is very much influenced by American slavery. So American slavery is really based in white colonialism. Colonialism of Europeans who came down into the African continent, they enslaved Africans and took them up to the North American continent, and they used them predominantly for labor. They were bought as property, And as such, they were greatly mistreated, greatly dehumanized, and they were given very little freedom outside of those tasks besides eating and sleeping. That's generally what you think of when we think of slavery, right? Right. Okay. 
Now, this type of slavery did exist in the ancient world. There's no doubt about that, but that was only one type of slavery. If you were enslaved in the ancient world and you were educated, more often than not, you would not be working labor somewhere, like in a field. You would be brought into somebody's household, usually wealthy people's households. And you could perform a variety of tasks. One task you might perform is that you might become a tutor to your master's children. You would teach them reading, writing, arithmetic. You teach them philosophy. Whatever you knew, you would impart that to them. If you were a former business owner, oftentimes the master would bring you in and have you take control of some of his businesses to run them on his behalf. If you were somebody who was very good at mathematics, he might hand over the ledger of accounts to you so that you could take care of his home finances and his business finances. So what you have to appreciate is that when it comes to this type of slavery, that you could actually be a very trusted member of the household, and once you proved yourself, you were considered to be a member of the family almost. So this is the kind of slavery we're talking about when we're looking at the parable of the talents. So the master calls the slaves to him, and he ends up giving them different amounts of money. He gives them five talents, the first one. The second one, he gives two talents. The final one, he gives one talent. And the text, the text actually tells us specifically he gives more to the one who has greater ability and less to the one who has less ability. But how much money are we really talking about here? Because, I mean, I say talent to you, and you probably don't know what that means, right? So let's talk about it. What is a talent? So a talent was a measurement of precious metals, usually silver or gold in the ancient world. And you could have different types of talents. You could have a Greek talent. You could have an Egyptian talent. But since we're dealing with Israel, let's deal with an Israeli talent. So at that place in time, a talent of silver weighed about 100 pounds, and a talent of gold weighed about 200 pounds. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a talent. Now, it doesn't tell us in the parable whether the talents were silver or whether they were gold, but for fun, let's assume that they're gold. In today's money, a talent of gold, 200 pounds of gold, comes out to about three and a half million dollars. So that's how much money he ends up giving to the guy who has one talent. The second guy who has two talents, he's been given seven million dollars. And the first guy who's given five talents, he's been given 17 and a half million dollars. So he's being given a ton of money. Basically, he's giving this to them. He's telling them to invest it. Clearly, he trusts these guys a great deal. So he leaves. They go off and they begin investing. The first guy who has the five talents, he he goes out and through trading, he ends up producing a double amount. Ten talents or 35 million dollars. The second guy goes out, he invests as well, and he doubles his amount. Goes from two to four, ends up with $14 million. The final guy, he goes out, and he buries his talent in the ground. Now, when the, when the slave owner, when the master comes back, he calls his slaves to him, and he wants an accounting of his money. Clearly, he's been gone. He wants to know, hey, what happened with all my dough, right? So he brings him back in. And they sit down, and the first two slaves, they tell him, well, we doubled the amount of money that you gave us, which is a pretty good return on the investment, right? I mean, very often, you don't get that much money, but he says, hey, I gave it to you, and I've given you a double return. And he praises them for this, says to them, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 
In other words, you've done a good job. You've proven yourself. And now I'm going to up your level of responsibility. But then we get to the final slave, the one who buried his talent in the ground. And he doesn't deny it. He actually owns it. He says, yeah, I did. I buried it in the ground. And on top of that, he gives us an explanation of why he buries it in the ground. And this is where the parable takes a very interesting turn. He says, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is one of the strangest lines in all of Jesus' parables. It is really odd. And one of the reasons why it's so odd is because the master in this parable represents God. In fact, if you look at all of Jesus' parables, just realize the master is God, right? And so the slave accuses God of being harsh. And the reason why God is harsh is because God is taking from fields, reaping where God did not sow. In other words, the imagery here is God is like a robber stealing produce from fields that God does not own. Now, the second reason why this is also a very strange line is because God doesn't deny the charge. God owns the fact that God is stealing from other people's fields. Now, this is a metaphor. It's not meant to be taken literally, right? So let's break down the metaphor so we're all on the same page of what's going on here. So I told you, who does the master represent? God. God. We got that part. Okay, so the next question is, what is the field? What does the field represent? So in this, the field where God plants and harvests, it represents the Jewish people. I'm not the first person to come up with that. Those are scholars who say this is what it means. So in essence, the Jews are the people whom God is supposed to cultivate and harvest. And the fact that God is taking from other people's fields means that God is cultivating from outside the Jewish faith. Those people are not supposed to belong to God, but God is taking them anyway. And this is something that God is very proud of, by the way. God is proud of this fact. And when the slave passes judgment on God for harvesting outside of the Jewish faith, God gets upset and casts the slave into the outer darkness. Look, look at what he says. So take the talent from him and give to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. From, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, as much as that first line is one of the strangest and oddest things I've ever read, this is one of the most challenging. This line, these verses have been used by leaders throughout the centuries to justify why the poor should remain poor and become poorer than they even are, and the wealthy should remain wealthy and become wealthier than they are. This is actually also the basis of what we call the prosperity gospel, the idea that if you have faith in God, God is going to make you rich. This is generally preached by pastors who are part of megachurches. Not all of them, but some of them. So you know my favorite. You know my guy, Joel Osteen. You know. You know who I'm talking about. That's the, he's, he's one of them. There's another pastor. His name is Creflo Dollar. 
I am not joking about that. His name is Creflo Dollar, and he preaches a very similar kind of message, and he says that the more faith you have in Jesus, the more faith you have in God, the more financially prosperous you will become. Now, if you know anything about me or my tone of voice, you know that I disagree with this interpretation. And one of the reasons why I disagree with this interpretation is because I think that you are reading the talent wrong in this particular parable. So, <clears throat> yes, a talent was a measurement of money. There's no doubt about that. But it's meant as a metaphor like everything else in this parable. So God has imbued each of us with skills, talents, if you will. Some of us have been given a lot of talents. Others of us have only been given a few. But God wants us to use those talents for the benefit of the kingdom. And so the purpose of this parable, the point behind the parable, is that if you use your talents for God, if you invest them in the kingdom, then they will be multiplied in the world for good. So the guy who has five talents, what does he do? He invests them in the kingdom, and what happens? They become ten talents. The guy who has two talents, he invests them in the kingdom, and they become four talents. But if you bury your talents in the ground, if you refuse to use your talents for the benefit of God's kingdom, then they go to waste. God gave you those talents for a reason. God gave you those talents so that you could make the world a better place, and your refusal to use those talents is a squandering of precious resources. So if you have the ability to teach and you don't use that talent, that's a squandering of precious resources for God's kingdom. If you have the ability to sing and you don't use that talent, that is a squandering of precious resources for God's kingdom. If you have the ability to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to welcome the stranger, to heal the broken, and you don't use that talent, that is a squandering of precious resources for God's kingdom. But I think you all already know that, don't you? Because as I look out over this room, I can tell you right now that I see so many people who I know for a fact give of their talents, not just to this community, but to build up God's kingdom right here in Arlington Heights. Let's take a look at how some of you give of your talents to make this community a better place. I grew up in the church and the youth group was a very important part of my life and so um, throughout college and after I came back from college um, that was always something in the back of my head of something that was important to me that shaped my life. Uh, when the opportunity came up uh, I was definitely enthusiastic about uh, trying to offer some of that to someone else, uh, someone who is growing up in our church. And I'm a member of Presbyterian Women and a member of a circle in Presbyterian Women and the representative to faith community homes from that circle and we collect items each month for the families in our in, at faith community homes. I donate uh, time to the church. Uh, I usher in the chapel on Sundays. I uh, work with Connections. We meet every Tuesday and do uh, odd jobs around the church. 
I love to work in the nursery. I just came from working in the nursery this morning. It's my chance to be around little kids. So I work the nursery um, every month as well as I used to be on the deacons committee and one of the deacons things that we used to do was the wings shoe drive and the wings Easter basket. That is now moved over to the mission committee. Um, so now I do that on behalf of the missions committee where we, I get the opportunity to collect things for women in need and give them to their children. Well, I am going on the, the Peru mission trip and um, Kim Hogan and I are the medical team. So this is actually the first time I've ever um, done something with the church in a medical way. So I'm pretty excited. And I work with the middle school youth group and I also uh, volunteer with PADS. And uh, I don't know, I guess that's about it. We I teach coffee grounds for discussion. I've been an officer of the church. I help on Wednesday nights at family nights. Yeah, I also teach um, second and third grade Sunday school. Um, I'm going to school to be uh, an early childhood education teacher, so I love anything having to do with the kids in the church. Um, it's really, really important to me to share the love that I have um, in my heart. I'm involved with PADS at the cleanup time on Wednesday morning. I'm active in Presbyterian Women and on the board there. I help with family night dinners. I help prepare the meal and I dispense drinks and desserts. I am finishing up a three-year commitment on session and I love helping out with the children's programs. I'm looking forward to starting as an elder and I serve with family night and wash dishes on family night. Um, anything we I've been involved in I feel like um, even though I'm trying to give back to the church, I also feel like I am always getting more than I give. Um, PADS has been important for a number of years and helping with the family night, which is a newer product. This summer, we had the opportunity to help out with Mission Factory, and now being older, it was great to be with young young kids and see some of these kids that we haven't been a part of because we're in the next two generations up but they're just great and it's exciting for the future of our church in the world. I want to say uh, thank you to James Thompson and also to Connor Stanley. They're the ones who went out and filmed that for me. I couldn't do that in between services. And also thank you to those of you who were willing to be on camera. There's so many more of you who give who we didn't have an opportunity to talk about. And what you may have noticed is that all of these things, they're all different, many of them, what people are giving to our community. And there's no one talent that allows us to support our church all by itself. We need the collective talents of every single person here if we are going to make this church work, if we're going to live in to Jesus' expectation for our lives. And that is why our stewardship theme for this year is collective talents exceeding our potential. Every week, I come to this church. I mean, I basically live here, to be perfectly honest with you, but every week I come here and hundreds of you come to this church. Hundreds of you come in and you give of your time, you give of your talents to make this church what it is. You are literally creating God's kingdom right here. You serve the least and the lost, whether it be through family night, which a lot of you come to, or paths, our homeless ministry. We have a lot of people, uh, as you heard Mary talk about, you know, they work with our VBS, uh, with our mission factory that's going on there. 
Uh, we have people who are part of Presbyterian women. I mean, Presbyterian women is huge in our church. You're about to see all of the decorations go up in a couple of weeks. They're a very important part of making that happen, and they do so much for so many people. We have our service day that we do here, where a lot of people in our community go out and we serve in the community on that day. We have the mission where we had everybody go to Peru. They stayed a little longer than they wanted to, but they went to Peru. <laughs> Uh, we have some of our older missions, our uh, South Dakota mission, our Dominican Republic mission. We have people who work in our music ministry. You all are so amazing that you give in the way that you do to our music ministry. We have youth ministry, children's ministry, Stephen ministry. Stephen ministry is what Judy works with, people who need caring. There's the officers in our church. That's important too, the, the trustees, the deacons, the elders. And then there's the people who go around and do gardening in the church. You know, they garden around the church and there's people who just do whatever is needed. You all are here doing so much all the time, and it's the reason why this church has had such a major impact on this community. Now, that's the collective talents part of this. The exceeding our potential aspect of this, though, is a little bit different. Because the fact is, there's a lot of you in here who do a lot, but there's some people who exist on the periphery of our congregation. People who come on Sunday, come to an event here or there, but you've been reluctant to get involved in our church. You've been reluctant to give of your talents to our community. And so I want to ask you a question. If you are one of those people who's been kind of on the periphery, I want you to ask yourself the question, if I could give one talent, one thing to this church, what would it be? And to that end, we have actually set up a page on our website where you can actually tell us about the talents that you have to give to the church. If you go to our homepage, what you'll see, look right up here on the screen, you can see that if you go to the homepage, there's this little thing, this click, a link that's talents right there. And you go down and you just fill in what you're going to, you know, your name, all that stuff, and then you go down and you can click on the things that relate to you. And if you get to the very bottom of that and you feel like, you know what, there's nothing there that really relates to me, you can even fill it in at the very bottom. You can put in your own thing. Um, out at the Welcome Center where Liz is, there's actually paper copies of that, but I'm so serious about you doing this. I actually would like you to take out, if you have a, a smartphone, take it out right now. I know that for some of you that's sacrilege, but take it out right now, okay? And I want you to go on your web browser, on your phone, to firstpresah.org. I want you to go there. And I want you, I don't see you all doing it. I'm serious. Take it out and do it. Go out. I want you to click on it. When you go to the mobile page, what you're going to see is up in the corner. You're going to have to click on the right-hand corner, and then the talents thing will come up. And once you're at the talents page, you can click your phone off at that point. Because when you open it up again, I want you to fill out. It'll take a minute. It won't take very long for you to do it. Your talents are just as important as your money in this church. Which brings me to the final aspect of my sermon. Every year, I preach a stewardship sermon in this church. And what is stewardship generally about, my friends? Money. money. Okay. So, and we have to do this every year. I don't just talk about money on today. I'll talk about it at other points. But the stewardship sermon is where we try to make sure that we have enough money to be able to fund our church in the coming year. So each year we come to you and we ask you to commit money to the church to ensure that we can operate the way we need to. Now, this is my sixth stewardship sermon in this church. And you know what I've come to find, in all honesty? is that you all are extraordinarily generous. You give to this church in huge ways. In fact, we have resources in this church that most Presbyterian churches can hardly imagine. You follow Paul's prescription from 1 Corinthians when he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, 
on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save whatever extra you earn. You all do that. You do that all the time. And I'm going to admit something to you. This is something that most pastors will not admit to you. But I'm going to admit something to you, which is that as a pastor, one of the things that you worry about all the time is, are we going to have enough money to keep going? I don't care how well you're doing, you always worry about that. And I want you to know that because you all have been so faithful to this church, that worry has receded into the back of my mind. It hasn't gone away, but it's receded. It's not as loud as it once was. You all give so faithfully to this church, and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for what you've been doing, and I want to encourage you to keep doing what you've been doing because it's working. Last year, you all committed nearly $1.3 million to the programs, mission, and operations of this church. So we could afford to fund our ministries here. We could afford to help people who are in need. People come to us all the time, and they need money, and we were able to help them out. We were able to make repairs to our building. I don't know if you've noticed. It's a big building. We were also able to do some new things, like build that playground, which is almost finished. If you see Brian Larson, say thank you to him. He's had to work so hard to get that finished, and we're almost there at the end of it. There are so many churches out there right now that are asking the question, and, and these are Presbyterian churches. They are literally asking this question, are we going to have enough money to stay open next year? That's the question that they're asking right now. Year to year, they're wondering, are we going to be here? We are in the place where we have the privilege of asking the question, what new thing do we want to do next year? And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for allowing me to be part of a community that is thriving, and I want to see us stay that way. So if you made a commitment to our church last year, my request to you is that you would give that same commitment to the church this year. You were very generous last year. We would like to see that repeated. We'd like to repeat the same accomplishment. If you weren't here last year, if you weren't part of our congregation last year, you're new, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, Alex, I wasn't here last year for your amazing stewardship message that you gave previously. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what should I give to the church? And I'm so glad that you asked that question. So generally speaking, what we say is, is that if you're coming in and you're starting, we like you, if you can, to begin at about $35 a week. Now that comes out to about $1,820 for an individual or $3,640 for a couple. Now, if you can give more money, that's always appreciated. Trust me, uh, every dollar matters. But some of you may be sitting there thinking, that's a lot of money, Alex. And it's very easy for you to stand up there and to say, give us this money, right? We need this. You know, do you do that? And I will tell you, I do. And I say this every year because I think it's important that you hear it. I would never ask you to do something that I am not doing myself. I give a lot more than that to this church because I believe in what we're doing. Now, some of you, $35 a week, that's hard. That's a hard threshold to hit. But give what you can. Whatever it is, give it consistently and try to aim or exceed that. Because if you do, you're going to be helping us to do our part to build God's kingdom right here in Arlington Heights. So there's two things I need you to do today. The first thing is I need you to fill out that talent form, whether it be online or go out to the Welcome Center. Fill that in. We have an ability to use that now in ways that we never have before. We've asked you to fill these things out. We've actually streamlined the system so that we can utilize it. So if you fill that out, 
you're going to get a call, okay? And secondly, I need you to consider what it is that you're going to be committing to the church for 2019. So next week is Commitment Sunday. That's where you come forward and you tell us how much you're going to commit to the church in 2019. You should have received your commitment card in the mail. If you haven't, they are in your pews. You can take those with you. So I would like you to prayerfully consider what you plan to give in next week, next Sunday. Be here next Sunday. Don't skip, please, okay? So I want you to be here and I'd like you to give to the church and I would like you to be part of our efforts to exceed our potential. I'd like you to give of your talents, your gifts, your skills, your money, so that your talents can be multiplied in the world for good. Together, our collective talents will not only ensure that we remain a thriving church, but it will also ensure that Jesus looks at our congregation and says, well done, good and trustworthy servant. You've been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.